Open up your Bibles to 2 Peter 2, 1, 2, and 3, and we're going to get right into the Word of God. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. So excited to go through this book together every week. But 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. If you're joining us in person, you're, you're going to see it on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, you'll see it on your screen at home. Okay, this is God's word. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you receive all the glory, Lord, for you are truly worthy, and we come before you, we bow before you, Lord, we bow before your word, and Father, now at this time, would you speak, would you open up our hearts, give us faith to receive your word. We thank you, Lord God. What a privilege, oh God. Let us never take it for granted that we get to meet openly here every week. We get to open up your word, and we get to, Father, look and study and hear what you have to say. So, Lord God, we don't want to take it for granted. We want to devote the next 45, 50 minutes, Father, to just whatever you want to say. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, neo-paganism and the false teachers and teachings in Second Peter, what do they have in common? So, that's the big question. And today, we're going to find out, hopefully, we're going to find out why they're linked together. And we're going to find out much more than that. Because today we're going to go and pick up where we left off last week, because this is the second part to last week. But we're going to dive into what neo-paganism actually is, and how it intersects surprisingly to some of the biggest movements and issues that we're facing with today, facing today, including things that are in the church. So all of this stuff actually directly intersects with our lives today. And we're going to hopefully get to how we should respond to neo-paganism today. So this entire topic began last week with the first three verses in chapter 2. That's what we looked at last Sunday. And chapter 2 begins the meat of the letter. You know, when I'm eating a hamburger, I like when I finally get to the center of the hamburger, right? That's like the tastiest part. Well, this isn't a tasty meat, but it is the meat of the letter. Because Peter is now diving into the reason why he wrote this letter but he is writing to refute the false teachers and teachings that were spreading throughout the churches that he oversaw. And he's finally getting to that now in chapter 2. And in the first three verses of chapter 2, we get Peter's thumbnail sketch of these false teachers and their false teachings. It's just an intro into the entire topic. And because it's just an intro, he doesn't really go into a lot of detail. But he kind of just gives a broad sketch of what these teachers and their teachings were like. And so this is what we looked at last week. And by the way, I, I have like right in front of me this full review I was going to do, but we don't have time for that because this is going to be a long message. There's a lot I want to get into. So let me just mention just briefly what we talked about. There's not going to be a full review, okay? I, I just want to encourage you, go back and listen to the sermon last week if you're curious, if you missed it. But he basically just talks about the false teachers and then their teachings in these first three verses. And just briefly, he talked about their actions. Okay, what did these teachers do? Well, they work in secret. 
They denied the master who bought them, which is Christ, mainly through their immoral lifestyle, leading other people into immoral living. They exploited people with their false words. So I had a lot more I was going to say on that, but I'm just going to leave it at that. So that was their actions. And then Peter goes into their influence. So are we just talking about a few people here and there? Some gullible Christians who don't know their Bible? No. Peter says many, many will fall into their sensuality, into their teachings, their moral, carnal teachings, many. So again, Peter's not talking about a few gullible Christians here and there who don't know their Bibles, but many people, people who grew up their whole lives in church, in fact. And I would actually say in the last days, the majority of people will follow false teachers. I'll say that again. I believe it's going to be the majority of people who are going to fall into false teachings and false teachers. And it'll be the minority who will follow the truth. I really believe that. So the narrative is not false teachers and their followers are the fringe and then orthodox believers like us, right? We're the orthodox. We're the mainstream. That's not the narrative. It's actually the opposite. Flip that around and you have it right. But false teachers and their followers are the mainstream. Did you hear that? People who are going to be totally out there, the majority of the people, they're going to be following the false teachers. And then orthodox believers more and more are the fringe. The ones who truly believe in the scripture, they're the fringe. And where do I get that? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Same word that Peter used, many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And then Jesus, right after that, in the very next verse, said, beware of false prophets. So in other words, who are going to follow these false teachers? The mainstream, the majority. So in the last days, the more popular a teacher and teaching gets, and the more people begin to flock around them, I would say, be careful. The more care you need to have, the more discernment you need to have. Now, popularity itself doesn't mean that it's false. Of course not. A lot of solid, true teachers have a lot of followers. But you know what I'm saying? The more popular something gets, the more mainstream, the more the majority of the world is talking about it, I would back away. I would be more and more cautious, more and more careful. Test everything by the scriptures. Why? Because that's mainstream. And increasingly in the last days, true believers are the fringe. So that's the influence of the false teachers. And then finally, Peter went over the judgment of the false teachers. Simply put, God's judgment on them, if they do not repent, is destruction. And that's a very important word in this letter. He repeats it a lot. But destruction, why is that their end? Because their teachings bring destruction on others. So Peter says, God will destroy them. And I know that's not a popular message that doesn't carry well in this day and age, but the Bible repeatedly warns, if you do not repent, if you keep going down that path, you will be destroyed. And so God's judgment that is coming, Peter says, is not idle. It's not idle. In other words, it's not just sitting around. It is not asleep. In other words, it is absolutely coming, guaranteed for certain. And the fact that it hasn't come yet, it doesn't mean God's forgotten. It just means God has mercy. God wants people to repent. So that was Peter's thumbnail sketch of the false teachers. Again, I had a lot more that I was going to say about the review, but that's, that's going to have to suffice. So finally, 
Peter, after giving that thumbnail sketch of the teachers, he goes into the teachings in the first three verses. And just briefly again, what did he say about these teachings? He called them destructive heresies, verse 1. Again, that theme of destruction, right? They destroy. You follow these teachings, they will destroy your faith. They will destroy your walk with Christ, your life even, and then the relationships and people all around you. Destroy. Destructive heresies. Their teachings will also deny Christ, the master who bought them. How? By living like he's not lord of your life. Verse 1. They will be sensual. Verse 2. They're going to appeal to what the carnal man and woman already want. See, if you come to church every Sunday and you're just looking to hear something that you already want, even without Jesus, these are things that anybody and everybody already wants, then that's carnal. Okay, that's the sensual kind of teaching that tickles that ear. And Peter said, in the last days, it's just going to be more and more of that. It's going to be sensual teaching. Verse 2, in particular, appealing to sexual desires, sexual immorality. And then finally, verse 3, they will be filled with false words. Their teachings will say all kinds of things that are not true. So it's not just an error here and there. Oh, that little fine point, you didn't cross that T. No, we're not talking about that. Okay, that's what we talk about in here. But we're talking about truckloads of error. Truckloads. Almost everything and anything they say is going to be false. But it's going to be half-truths. It's going to sound like it's from God, but they're really from demons. It sounds like it's building up your faith, but it's really destroying your faith. So this is going to be the false teaching that's going to be everywhere. And again, last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that because I gave a lot of examples of different things that are happening today, but they're everywhere. And so with that, last week, we actually went into a particular false teaching that is spreading rapidly today, and that's what I want to talk about today and the next week. But I want to focus in now on a particular false teaching, and it really does fit Peter's description of the false teaching that we just went through. And the false teaching that we began to look at is neo-paganism. That's what we began to look at last week, neo-paganism. And as one Bible teacher put it, the old pagan gods have come back. They have come back into our society. And they are massive in numbers, and they are flooding our culture. So again, it's not that one weird guy who likes to play with tarot cards or that one TV show on Netflix. But this is everywhere. And Jesus said this is exactly what would happen when a culture abandons Faith in him. So Matthew 12, 43 through 45. Jesus said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will go back to my house from which I came. Talking about that person. And when it comes, it finds the house or that person empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. And most of us stop there and think, oh, that's terrible. That happens to some people, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. The last verse of that parable is what? So also will it be with this evil generation. He's talking about entire generations that this is going to happen to, entire cultures. So yeah, it can happen to individuals, sure. But Jesus' point, more to the point, is this is going to happen to entire generations, and this is exactly what happened to us here in the West. And we already covered this last week. But when the gospel swept through the Roman Empire and then it went into Europe and then it eventually went into the New Americas, what happened? 
a mass exorcism happened. All the demonic, the, the cult, and all these things were driven out. And large numbers of people came to faith in Christ. And so by and large, it became a Christianized society. I'm not saying everybody was Christian, but by and large, all this stuff was driven out, driven underground, all the occult, all the demonic. But you guys know, fast forward many, many years, and now the West has largely abandoned God. It has abandoned for 25 years ago. I wasn't focused on this. No one talked about the occult. It was all about like secular humanism and atheism, but that's all past now. What is here now drawing people away more than ever before is neo-paganism and the occult. So last week I gave several examples of how paganism and the occult are everywhere in our culture. And if you're not aware of that, you're not looking. It is everywhere. So for example, witch covens are popping up in every city. Paganism and the occult are flooding platforms like TikTok. People call that witch talk. There are so many videos now. Disney, Netflix, Amazon all have shows flooding those platforms on the occult. Paganism and the occult are also showing up in the music industry. You know that. Political movements, corporate America, even you tech bros and gals are experiencing this in Silicon Valley and even in the church. All this is invading. So the pagan gods have come back. And you know, brothers and sisters, this is not just a fad. Because sometimes we talk about things up here and, and you go, oh yeah, well this will eventually pass, right? I mean, it might, but I don't think so. As I study it more and more, as I see the history of this, throughout the course of human history, it is not a fad. But I believe neo-paganism, along with cultural Marxism, which we're gonna look at next week, and there's a connection between those two things. It's not random why I'm picking those two things. There's a connection. But I believe these two movements are really like a two-headed dragon. That's the way I see it. They are like a two-headed dragon right now going on a rampage throughout the West, in fact, throughout the entire world. And by the way, if I had to th add a third head, I think it's a three-headed dragon, I would add Islam. Not the people, not the Muslim people, of course, but the religion, the ideology of Islam. But recently I read that Islam has surpassed Christianity as the fastest growing religion in the world right now. So the occult, Marxism, and Islam, it is like a three-headed dragon, or maybe you could see it as three individual dragons, but they are rampaging through the world right now, and it's not far away, brothers and sisters, but it's right here. And they all have a connection to one another, believe it or not. On the surface, I know they don't look like they do, but they actually do all connect. Different topic, different sermon <laughs> for a different time. But here's the point. They are reshaping the world, likely in preparation for the coming of the man of sin one day. But they are reshaping the world. And so the point I'm making is, it's not a fad. I believe neo-paganism and the occult is not a fad. It is what has been there all along through human history and now the pipes are finally breaking. Once again, in the West, it is here. So then today, neo-paganism, I just wanna go through a series of questions, but what is it? Why are people drawn to it? What are essential beliefs? How is it in the church? And how should we respond to it? So we're just gonna go through all these questions. So first, what is it, right? What is neo-paganism? Sounds a little weird, right? Why are we talking about this in church? Why don't we just talk about the Bible? Well, we are. The Bible is filled with warnings against these things. Well, paganism, to just start with paganism, paganism is as old as human beings on the earth, and it's all throughout scripture. You see it all through the Old Testament from the very opening chapters of the Bible, and it goes right through all the way through the book of Revelation. 
But paganism is as old as human beings on the earth. And it is found all throughout scripture. But the word itself wasn't used the way it is today until around the fourth century in Rome. And the word pagan comes from the Latin word paganus, which means simply a villager, somebody living in the countryside. Today, we might call this person a country bumpkin or maybe a hick, right? A little bit worse term, but a hick or a country bumpkin. But that's what pagan just means, paganus, pagan. And as Christianity spread through these different areas in Rome, the places where people lived that still worshipped other gods, all these gods of the Roman Empire, they lived in the countryside. Okay, that's where they lived. So eventually, the Christians in the Roman Empire began to call those people, oh, they're pagans. Okay, they're living in the countryside. They don't know about the gospel yet. They're still worshiping these other gods. They're pagans. So that's where it came from. So the word pagan began to describe anybody who did not worship the God of the Bible. But they still worship the pantheon, right? All the different gods in the Roman Empire, the many different gods. Later in the Middle Ages, that word pagan was used to describe any non-Christian religion. So any non-Christian religion was pagan. And now today, pagan refers to any religion that is not Judaism, Islam, or Christianity. So those are the three big monotheistic religions, and anything outside of that is now considered pagan. So that's pagan and paganism, but what's neo-pagan? Okay, neo-paganism. Well, that's just the modern version of all these ancient pre-Christian religions coming back. So people now are going, hey, we forgot about all these other religions. I mean, let's push Christianity aside, Judaism aside. Let's look at these ancient religions again and let's update them. Let's make them modern. And that's what neo-paganism is. It's just people today bringing these things back. So then, what are the major neo-pagan religions around today? So when I say neo-paganism, what am I talking about? What, what religions fall under this? Well, one of the biggest in the world is Hinduism. Okay, that one's very familiar to most of us. By the way, I remember this one uh, professor talking about America today, and they called it Hindu America, or he called it Hindu America. America is no longer Christian, but it's far more Hindu than Christian. But Hinduism, so Hinduism is the worship of many gods. They have an entire pantheon of gods, and that's probably one of the largest pagan religions today. Okay, what else? Native American religions, all of that is pagan as well. You know, we used to do missions work in the Navajo Reservation. Uh, I did that for many years, actually. One of my best friends planted a church out there. But we encountered a lot of these Native American religions, and they are all pagan. So that would be pagan as well. Then there's the Wicca and his followers, the Wiccans. This is probably the best-known pagan religion today. If you go on social media and Google pagan religion, you're probably going to pull up something about Wiccans. But Wiccans, they worship a god and a goddess a male god and a female god. So they're well known for that. Many Wiccans call themselves witches. So if you ever hear neo-pagan and the word witches or witch, you're probably dealing with a Wiccan. That's where that word comes from. Now, when I say witches, or when they say witches, we're not talking about the Halloween type, right? We're not talking about pointy hat, crooked nose, broomstick, right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about anybody who practices witchcraft. So that's what they're talking about. Anybody who actually engages in what they call witchcraft, they call a witch. So that's probably the most popular, fastest growing religion right now, pagan religion. 
Another one is Druidry and their followers, the Druids. This one's big too. But they say they desire to embody the greatest yearnings in humanity. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, what yearnings? Well, it's the desire to be, and I'm quoting, fully creative in our lives to commune deeply with the world of nature. So, in fact, worship nature and to gain access to a source of profound wisdom. And that wisdom right there is this secret knowledge, and that's going to be important later on when we talk about their beliefs. But paganism always talks about this secret knowledge. So those are the Druids. Okay, what else? There's the Asatru, Asatru. These are the pagan religions based on Old Norse beliefs. You know, the Vikings? So this is really popular among, among men especially. A lot of guys are getting caught up in this, young guys. Okay, they, don't, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> but uh, they're getting caught up in these Norse beliefs. Another term is heathenism. If you ever hear about heathenism, it's talking about these guys, right? Believing in these old Norse beliefs. They worship gods like Odin, Loki, Thor. If you're a Marvel fan, you really like this one, right? <laughs> okay, Loki, Thor. You know, the Vikings, right? Okay, this, this is the, the pagan religion that we're talking about. They follow the set of guidelines known as the nine noble virtues. We don't have time to get into all that, but this is another one. There's also the pantheon-based paganism. There's a lot of different kinds, brothers and sisters, but th these would be people who actually literally go to the Greek pantheon of gods like Zeus, Hermes, you know, Venus, all these gods, Aphrodite, and they actually begin to follow their teachings and in a sense worship them. So the Greek pantheon of gods, the, the, the Celtic gods, whatever pantheon of gods in ancient times, they worship these gods and follow their teachings. And then finally, there's the eclectic paganism, eclectic paganism. And these would be the non-denominational pagans, right? Christians have non-denominational churches. These are the non-denominational pagans. So they like to mix and match different beliefs, make up their own practices, but they're all pagan. So there are a lot out there, brothers and sisters, and a lot of these pagan gods are really just a rehash of the old Canaanite gods. So the Bible is relevant. The Bible has told us in advance what human beings are gonna keep falling back into again and again and again. You know, last week I quoted somebody, a pastor, but he said the Bible is not about what happened, but it's about what always happens, amen? It's about what always happens. And so a lot of these pagan religions, they're just bringing back the gods of Baal, Ashtaroth, and Moloch, and other Canaanite gods. If you were to trace back all these pagan gods to like, where did this start? Oh, the Bible. It comes from all these gods in Mesopotamia and Canaan. So these are the pagan religions, and here are some of the common words and sayings in paganism. If you were to ever just kind of jump online and kind of research a little, look, on social media, you'll hear these sayings a lot. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Anybody, anytime somebody says that, oh, pagan, <laughs> right? Something should kind of go off. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Anybody who talks about Mother Sky, or I'm sorry, Mother Earth and Father Sky, different religions talk about that. That's pagan. Mother Earth, Father Sky. Here's a very important saying among pagans, as above, so below. You know, I was actually listening to this one political rally, and they had some different people come up. I was shocked, but somebody actually said that, as above, so below. It kind of sounds Christian, right? It almost sounds like it's from the Lord's Prayer, but it's not. It's a very pagan saying. And there's a whole pagan teaching behind it. As above, 
so below. A lot of Wiccans say that. Okay, divine spark, divine energy, that's all pagan. The secret, the secret principle. Any book that has the word the secret in it, you can guarantee it's going to be pagan. So stay away from books, or you can read them, but just be aware you're reading a pagan book. The secret, the secret principle, the sacred principle, the perennial philosophy. I don't have time to go into any of this, but, but these are sayings, right? Bright blessing. This is how they greet each other. Bright blessing. It sounds so like, wow, like Christian almost, right? Bright blessing. Blessed be. They say blessed be a lot, but they never say blessed be the Lord like a Christian would, but they always say blessed be the earth. Blessed be you, blessed be my body, right? Blessed be that chair. But they say that often, blessed be. The word circle, circle is very important to pagans. But circle marks off sacred space. So they're always talking about circle. You know, I was so surprised, but somebody gave me as a gift a Christian book, but it was talking about the circle of prayer. And immediately I, I, I knew something was kind of off about that, and I just kind of read through it, and I'm like, yeah, he's drawing from pagan teachings, but it was a Christian book but the circle of prayer. But circle is very important. So they talk about like women's circles. This is a very popular group that's expanding everywhere, women's circles. They'll say, I'm going to circle. It doesn't mean they're gonna be drawing, right? <laughs> but, but that's basically the same thing as us saying, I'm going to church. So when somebody says, I'm gonna to go to circle, they're just saying, I'm gonna to go to church, but their church. So that's a very common word as well. So as you can see, there are a lot of different pagan sayings and terms as well as a lot of different pagan religions. But here's what they all have in common. They often talk about the hidden or secret knowledge. And some Bible scholars believe that the false teaching that Peter addressed in his letter, 2 Peter, was some form of secret knowledge, an early form of Gnosticism. But Gnosticism was a huge problem in the, uh, the latter part of the first century heading into the second century. And it's always been there all throughout church history. But it emphasized this divide between the spiritual and the physical and this importance of secret knowledge, the secret knowledge. So pagan religions all have that in common, but they always seek after secret knowledge and it directly connects to the occult. In fact, the word occult comes from the Latin word occultus, which means hidden. That's what occult means. It just means secret, hidden. So again, anytime you see something that says secret, or the secret of whatever, or secret blank, it's going to be occult. It's going to be pagan. Now, paganism, these ancient New Age, or I'm sorry, pre-Christian religions, and the occult, right? They're not the same thing. They're related, but they're not the same thing. Both paganism and New Age occult, they do have a lot in common though. Okay, there is a lot of overlap. So they both try to gain power and wisdom by contacting the spiritual realm through things like secret knowledge, sorcery, mysticism, casting spells, channeling energy. So this is important to both realms, but they're not the same, right? I just wanted to make that point. I don't want any pagan people to come after me. Doesn't matter, but, but they're gonna say, they were not the same, but, but there is a lot of overlap, right, between the occult, New Age, and paganism. So it, it is always about the secret knowledge and somehow accessing that through the spiritual realm. And the Bible calls all of that witchcraft. All of that, God says, is witchcraft. That's the term the old King James Bible used, but in Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. 
God said, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. In other words, don't offer your children as a sacrifice to these demon gods. Or there shall not be anyone who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And let me ask you guys, why did God make it such a point to forbid all these things? Why was that such a beef with God? Why? Well, the reason why is because all the nations that Israel was going to face in the promised land, they practice all of that. I remember one pastor said, witchcraft is the religion of fallen humankind. It's so true. Witchcraft is the religion of fallen humanity. They can repackage it, put like a fancy name on it, Scientology, right? Even put like celebrities up front to talk about it. Doesn't matter. At the end of it all, it's just witchcraft. All of it is just witchcraft. That's pagan religion. So God explicitly forbid the Israelites from doing these things because that's what all the Canaanites did. And that's what all human beings have always done all throughout history. So there's really only two religions on the earth. True biblical Christianity, biblical religion, and witchcraft, which is every other religion. And through these religions, people opened the door to the demonic. And God knew that. And so God said, don't mess around with it. Don't touch it. If you do, you're an abomination. And even today, there is testimony after testimony online. And believe me, I don't know why, but I had a whole season in my life about maybe two years ago, a year ago, where I really kind of like searched this out. I really kind of went deep into this stuff. Not practicing it, but just kind of researching, right? (laughs) But I found testimony after testimony online of people who used to be in these pagan religions and the occult, and then they came out of it. And all their testimonies are pretty much the same, but they all say the same things, right? I started out doing this because I thought it would give me certain things, but, but eventually I began to get harassed by evil spirits. psychologically, emotionally, even physically. I remember this one man even said, this demonic thing came upon me and it began to throw me around the room and then he was showing on the video like the, the marks. Who knows, right? You can believe him or not. But he looked terrified. And he's like, I even got physically assaulted by the demonic as he was doing all these pagan occultic rituals. So people who are in the new age and pagan religions even have blogs where they warn each other, and I've actually been to these, and I've read their, you know, what they say to each other. But they're not Christians warning. These are other people in pagan religions talking to other people in pagan religions. And they are warning each other about certain evil spirits that, that you might encounter if you're projecting yourself, right? Out-of-body experience or doing different things, meditating. You're going to encounter evil spirits. And they're warning each other and what you should do, right? And so people who go deep into this, they know. They know. You open the door wide to the demonic. So that is what pagan religion is in a nutshell. So then, why are people drawn to it? So here's our second question. Why are people drawn to it then? Okay, who wants to go into the demonic? Hey, sign me up. I want to be thrown around a few times, right? Like, like who wants to sign up for that? Well, the answer why people are drawn into paganism is not what some people might think. So some people think pagans go into this because they have rejected the major religions like Judaism, Islam, Christianity, especially Christianity, and now they are all devil worshipers. That's what some people think. 
But contrary to that, very few people in paganism say they are devil worshipers. They don't say they worship Satan. Many say they don't even believe in a Satan. They're like, we don't believe in Satan. Nor are they drawn to paganism because they have rejected all morality and they want to live in the shadows. That's not why either. Many of them actually say, no, we deeply believe in morality. So for example, the three goals of Druidry, the Druids, are wisdom, creativity, and love. I mean, that's what they believe in. We're all about wisdom, creativity, and love. So it's not like they rejected all morality and they want to be evil now. That's not, that's not it either. Then why do people get involved in paganism and the occult and open their lives to demons? Well, the reason why is because they're searching for the same things we're all searching for, that everyone's searching for. And they were deceived into believing that paganism and the occult will give it to them. So what am I talking about? They're searching for community, identity, guidance, they run into a tough patch in life. They, they really need guidance, right? We, we all seek guidance. Power to control parts of their lives. Protection. These are the things that they're all wanting, like all of us. And yet, somehow, in some way, they got led deceptively. They were deceived into looking for it in paganism. So last week, I mentioned women's circles. By the way, they are growing in popularity. I saw this little news report about a group growing in Santa Barbara, but it's exploding up there. But women's circles, these are groups of women who gather regularly. And in this news report, it just looked like a community group. I was like, it looks like a community group until they started doing weird chanting. I'm like, nope, <laughs> they're not a community group. Okay, this is very weird. But they look like a community group in the beginning. And the reason why they looked so welcoming and they were such a community and they were eating together, right? Potluck and they started talking and fellowshipping is because they draw a lot of women who are looking for community. Women who got divorced, some women who are facing a lot of challenges at work, some women who moved to a new city, they're looking for friends. They're like, where do I find community? I'm not a Christian. I don't even know any Christians, right? I don't even go to church. And they find these groups. So most of these women are looking for community, but along the way, they get drawn into paganism. So that's one example. Here's another example. I remember hearing online one Christian woman who used to be in the occult and the new age, but then she came to faith in Christ. God saved her. But she shared how when she was a young girl, like around 13 years old, she can vividly remember this one day when her dad began to share his deepest beliefs and he was in the occult. He had a, she had a very wicked dad. But this dad who was deep in the occult basically started sharing this stuff to her. And then she's like, I'll never forget it. But he looked right at me and said, this is who you are. This is who you are. And when she heard that, she said, it really spoke to me. It impacted me. Because for the first time as a young girl, she's like, I, I had this clear sense of identity. That's who my dad is and this is who I am. And because of that, she got drawn into the occult. It was through this desire for identity. So that's another reason. And then here's one more example, but sometimes people go into it because of the power it gives to people. But this is another story I heard, but there's another woman who is also now Christian, praise God, a lot of Christians, God is saving a lot of people out of this movement. But this woman actually even wrote a book about her experience, but she used to be a psychic. And she was so effective and she had such a, a, a power, right, working in her life that she was able to turn into a business, so she actually made money it was a profitable business. And she said all of it began when one day she went into uh, this place and met with a psychic with her mom and an aunt. I believe there was an aunt there. 
And she's like, I was just a girl, and I, and I couldn't believe it, but the psychic began to just say things to us that there is no way she could have known about our family. There's no way. And so she and the mom and the aunt, they were just surprised and blown away by that. So she was immediately encountered with an unexplainable power. In fact, I actually know this is true because I met a man. I, uh, not met a man. I've actually known him for many years. He passed away recently. But I knew a man who said the same thing happened to him. And I remember talking with him, and it was so hard for me to convince him, for me to convince him that this is demonic. Right? Don't go back. But he just, he just couldn't shake it. He just couldn't hear that because he's like, no, but this was real. You got to understand, Roy, what, he told, what this lady told me. I'm like, it's demonic. But the reason why there's such power there is because demons actually have knowledge about our lives. And I know some of you guys are probably sitting here thinking, come on, really? Demons? You know, I remember watching, I think it was Charlie Rose one time, you know, that talk show where they just sit at a table and talk. And I remember this one scientist saying, you know, in my field, we all know this, but everything we know about this universe can be summarized by this little dot. And he drew a little dot on a piece of paper. And the rest of the table is everything we don't know. So everything we know is right here, this little dot, and the table is everything we don't know. Well, let me take that analogy and expand it. When you include not only the physical universe, but even the unspiritual realm, that little dot is everything we know, and then all of California is what we don't know. So please, I encourage you guys, if you're sitting here like thinking, are you kidding me, really? You don't have any clue, and neither do I, how much is out there that we don't know. You simply do not know. But thankfully, God has revealed enough for us to follow him, amen? But the de demonic is real. The demons are real, and they can have real knowledge about our lives. Why? Not because they're like God. Okay, they don't know the future. They can't predict the future accurately like God. They can't read our hearts like God. But do you know why they have knowledge? Because they watch us. Demons are watching us. And so they know your past. And that's why oftentimes psychics, and I've seen this, even that man that I knew, he's like, that psychic knew things about my past. Well, of course, because demons were there. They saw what happened to you, and now they revealed it to this woman. But psychics, they know our past through these demons. Why? Because demons are watching. They know your current life. They know what's going on. They know facts about you. They know all these things. They can even predict to a certain degree how you're going to act because they have been watching. They have been around far longer than we have. Most of us, only two decades, maybe three, right? Some of us a little bit more. But we've only been around for a few decades. These demons are ancient. They are ancient they know human beings. They know how they're going to act. They know what will happen to them. And based on that knowledge, they will make predictions. And so demons will reveal that knowledge to certain people who open themselves to the demonic. And it's a form of power. And so going back to that woman, that Christian woman, she said, when I encountered that psychic power, she wanted that. And she opened herself up, and then she said she got that power, and she became very effective. She's like, I just knew things. She's like, when I had clients and they came, she's like, I just got revelation. I just knew things. And that is a counterfeit of what God does, because the Holy Spirit can also do that to the believer, but this is the counterfeit version. So these are some reasons why people get drawn into paganism and the occult. 
So these are not devil worshipers. They're not weird people out there. They are our brothers and sisters. They are our family members. They are our coworkers. They are people living right next door to us. They are people just looking for the same things we are, but they got deceived. But ultimately, all of it is rebellion to God because instead of turning to God for what they need, they have now turned to the demonic instead. 1 Samuel 15.23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Okay, this is how God sees witchcraft. At its core is rebellion. Again, witchcraft is the religion of fallen humankind, fallen humanity. It is rebellion. So then why do people ultimately get drawn into the demonic, into the occult? It's because it, in the core, they are rebelling against God, and they want to become their own gods. And you hear that a lot from people who come out of the occult. But a lot of these people, they look back and they say, you know what, when I was in all of that paganism and the occult, I was trying to be my own God. So you hear that a lot in these testimonies. I was trying to be my own God. So at its core, why do people get drawn into it? Because of rebellion. So that's the second question. Now here's the third question. What are essential beliefs? Okay, what are essential beliefs? Now, I know we're covering a lot of information today, but I want to encourage you to stay focused because this might be perhaps the most important part to really understanding what's going on. And this is where it really now intersects with all the things we're seeing today in our society. But what are essential beliefs? Well, Peter Jones, he's a very respected Christian theologian. He was a professor, I believe, at Westminster at one point. But he wrote a lot and spoke a lot on paganism in the West. And he gave a very insightful explanation on what paganism believes. But Jones, he said, at its core, paganism is about taking two things and bringing it down to just one thing. Okay, taking two things and making it just one thing. So what does he mean? Well, what he meant is paganism denies that there are two fundamentally different things, creator and created. They deny that. And rather, they say that, no, there is only one thing, creation. So that's what they're doing. They're taking the two different things of creator and created, and they boil it down to just one thing. No, there's just creation. And so that is what paganism is. And this is the exact opposite of biblical Christianity. Amen? It's the exact opposite. Because the Bible says what? All throughout, there is creator who is fundamentally different from the created. He's connected to it, right? He engages with the creation, but he is fundamentally different. There are two different things. But pagan religions say, no, there is only one thing, the created. So that is the fundamental difference. So at the end of it all, there's really only two religions then. There's biblical Christianity that believes in two things, God and creation, and then there's everything else that just believes in itself, right, the created. So that is what paganism is, and Jones got that definition exact, uh, directly from Romans 125. It says, they, humanity, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So paganism is all about rejecting the creator and now the created, right? Human beings are created. We're worshiping other created things. And because there's no creator, only creation, the goal of paganism is to break down all distinctions in creation to make it all one. Okay, that, that's what paganism is all about. So they believe that everything is made up of this divine essence, and we need to get back to that. 
Okay, that's why they always talk about divine energy and the divine spark, this divine essence. Okay, we're all one, right? There's no separation. There's no God. Or even if there's many gods, we're all the same, right? We are part of the gods. We're all made of the same stuff. And so let's bring it all back to one thing. And how do you do that? Break all distinctions. Break them all down. So paganism wants to break down every distinction God has made in the world. This is true. If you read about pagan religions and what they say all throughout history, this is what they always talk about. Break down every distinction. So in the Bible, God made a distinction between what? Human beings and created things. Paganism wants to break that down. In the Bible, God made a distinction between what? Male and female. Okay, co-equal, made in the image of God, both equal dignity, value before God. But we're different, right? Male and female, we're different. Paganism wants to break that down. In the Bible, God made a distinction between heterosexual monogamous marriage, which is holy in the sight of God, and all other forms of sexual behavior. The Bible consistently makes a distinction, right? God blesses this. God condemns all of that. Paganism says no. Okay, break all that down. Blur it all. In the Bible, God made a distinction between adults and children, especially in their ability to have sexual relations. The Bible is very clear. Adults and children, no. Big no-no, right? You never cross those boundaries. In fact, there's death penalty in the Bible. Paganism, break it down. Break it all down. Adults and children, sexual relations, break it all down. So paganism, since the very beginning of time, has tried to break down all these distinctions, brothers and sisters. Why? It comes straight from their belief. Everything has to be one. We are all one, right? Even though we worship many quote-unquote gods, we're all made of the same stuff. All these distinctions have to go away. And so then, if that is their goal, what's the consequence? Well, I think you know what the consequence is. Just look around. We live in a pagan society now. You can look around. What's happening in our culture today? The breakdown of traditional marriage. Break that stuff down. The breakdown of the family. Break it down. Husband, wives, children, these, these roles. Break it down. Homosexuality, normalized. Transgenderism, normalized. Women and men thrown into confusion regarding their identities. Okay, why is this all happening? At the very same time that the occult and paganism has come flooding back. Remember Jesus said that? You reject me and turn away from me as a generation. The gods are going to come back. The demons are going to come back. Why at the very same time the occult has come flooding back, all these distinctions are going haywire. And we know that, right? Even non-Christians are talking about that. They're making a living off of it, a good living, right? Millions of followers on YouTube talking about this stuff. But why? Why is it happening at the same time? Well, it's a complex issue, right? It's not just one thing. But clearly, though, clearly, the, the onslaught of paganism in our society right now has also, along with it, driven all these things breaking down. Okay, clearly, they're related. Separate, isolated cultures never talked to each other, never even knew each other, but they were all doing paganism, right? Their own version of it. And they all, in a very strange, similar way, would appoint homosexual androgynous priests to have these key roles in their religion. Peter Jones actually documents all this in an essay called Androgyny, the Pagan Sexual Ideal. It's a, it's a very fascinating essay. I have it on my computer. Heavily researched, heavily footnoted. But androgyny, the pagan sexual ideal. And, and that word androgyny is really one word made up of two words. Andros means male, gyne means female. So it's the male-female. 
Androgyny means both male and female. So this blurring of biological sex is core to pagan religions all throughout the world, isolated from each other, and all throughout human history, including the ones that you see in the Bible. Jones said androgynous or homosexual priests were everywhere in ancient Mesopotamia, so that's biblical times. Indo-European religions, so the pagan religions in Europe. Australian aborigines, way out there. Australia is an island, isolated from everyone, same thing. African tribes, South American Indians, Pacific Islanders, like the Samoan Islands, all over the known world, we have this phenomenon of homosexual androgynous priests in key roles in these pagan religions. You know, this is so weird, but you even see this in the hyper-masculine religion of Islam. Because even though Islam today is not considered pagan, but it really has occult roots. It really does. If you study Islam, it was all cultic things that started it. But even in Islam, you see this weird androgynous stuff. It's, it's really weird, even though it's hyper-masculine on the surface, right? But in the Hadith, which is Islam's most trusted source on Muhammad's sayings and traditions, Muhammad didn't write the Quran, he didn't write anything. But the followers around him wrote everything down that he said and did. So there's the Quran, divine revelation from God, but there's the Hadith, which is his sayings and his traditions, right? The life of Muhammad. Well, in the Hadith, it talks about Muhammad at certain times putting on women's clothing. So strange. So he would put on his wife's clothing, and during those cl times, he would get revelations from God. He intentionally did that to get revelations from God. It's very strange, right? But why? Well, I don't, we don't really know why, but I, my guess is Muhammad probably knew that the pagan religions all around him, that's what they did. So he's like, maybe I'll try this. So Muhammad... You even see this in the Christian occult religions like Christian Gnosticism. I mentioned that earlier. Peter is probably talking about Gnosticism in early form in his letter. But as Gnosticism really began to flower and flourish in the second century, began to go down church history, you see this kind of like weird androgynous stuff. For example, the Gospel of Thomas. This is the Gnostic Gospel. You know, I don't understand Christians who go, why is the Gospel of Thomas in the Bible, right? I heard it's cool, right? There's like cool stuff in there. Uh, you never read that gospel. Because <laughs> if you ever read that gospel, you would know why it's not in the Bible. Let me quote you a passage. But the gospel of Thomas, a Gnostic gospel from the third century, this is what it says in saying 114. It's broken up into sayings, right? Saying number 114. Simon Peter said to them, let Mary go away from us for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, lo, right? Wait. I shall lead her so that I may make her a male. I'm going to turn her into a man, that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who makes herself a male will enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's the very end of the Gospel of Thomas. That's how it ends. Very important passage. Now, some of you guys sitting here are thinking, that's not androgyny. That's toxic masculinity, right? Like, I know about toxic masculinity. No, that's not toxic masculinity. That's not even the perspective of the Gospel of Thomas. It's androgyny. Let me prove it. Here's a different saying. Saying number 22. Same gospel. And when you make the male and the female into a single one, so that the male shall not be male and the female shall not be female, then you shall enter the kingdom. See, it's all throughout pagan teachings. Even the Christianized ones. So people today who say, this is so progressive, right? Everything we're saying. It's not progressive. You're going backwards. 
you're going back to all these old pagan demonic gods that have been all throughout history, androgynous, homosexuality. And when I say that, of course, there are people who are caught up in that, we need to love them, right? We wanna share Christ with them, they need support. You know, we don't fight against flesh and blood, right? This is, this is not against any human being. But I'm talking about the belief systems. Paganism is centered on this. It is centered on this. So now when you go to Romans 1, 25 through 27, now it makes sense why Paul would attach homosexuality to idolatry. I've always wondered when I was growing up, why does Paul like suddenly mention homosexuality in this passage in Romans 1? It's a weird connection, but now it makes sense. Paul said, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, very next verse, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So Paul made that connection. You begin to worship these demonic gods in pagan religions. I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. You're gonna get sucked up into these belief systems. All of it, right? Again, all around the world, all of it is centered on blurring distinctions between male, female, heterosexual, monogamous marriage and everything else is blurring everything. You're gonna get sucked up into that. And so this is what Paul said. So there's so much more that we can say about this, but we're just gonna have to leave that point there. But paganism is not what you think it is. It's not just some people having fun on TikTok, right? But if you wanna look at the most obvious pagan thing right now in our culture is these movements that are taking over. The transgender movement, the homosexual marriage movement, all these things, these are pagan to the core. Historically, paganism has also been closely connected to the feminist movement. Again, there is so much I can say here and, and I'm just gonna have to keep it short. Oh my goodness. <laughs> there is so much, brothers and sisters. Now, of course, I'm not saying all feminism is bad. There were some legitimate concerns at the very beginning, the first wave of feminism. Women didn't have equal rights. Okay, that was a problem. Women were being oppressed. That's a problem. So all of that was addressed. All of that got changed. That was good. That was necessary. But I'm talking about the kind of feminism that we're seeing today. And historically, all throughout pagan religions, feminism has had a key role in all these pagan religions as well. Since ancient times, paganism has always had this, this unusual focus on women in ways that feminism does today. And this is why women, by and large, are more drawn into it than men today. Of course, millions of men are involved in it too. But women, by and large, are more involved. This is from their very own mouths, Margot Adler. She was actually a very famous uh, NPR correspondent. She passed away. But I remember uh, listening to her here and there. But she's on the radio, right, NPR. But she was a practicing pagan and Wic Wiccan priestess. But this is what Adler said. She said, many feminist witchcraft uh, covens have attracted women from all walks of life, but even there, most of these women have already been strengthened by the feminist movement or by consciousness-raising groups or by an important experience such as divorce, separation, or a homosexual encounter. So clearly, she's making that connection. All these women coming into witchcraft and pagan, uh, paganism, the Wiccan faith, they're from the feminist movement experiencing all this other stuff. Charles G. Leland, he was a Princeton journalist uh, in the 1800s. He wrote a lot on pagan religions. He said, in witchcraft, it is the female who is the primitive principle. She's the key figure. She's the really important one. 
And that's why they talk a lot about the divine feminine, and that is a very pagan image of this queen of heaven, right? The divine feminine with this crown and all these men are serving her. But that is a very pagan image all throughout pagan religion. So clearly there is a focus on women. And why, brothers and sisters? Again, I, I can't go in depth into all this, but, but why though? Again, it all goes back to the same source, Satan. But what does Satan do in the garden? But when he looked at the new creation of man and woman, how did he approach attacking humanity, this new form of humanity? How did he attack? He went after the woman. And it's not because the woman is the weaker person. That's not why. I like what this one theologian said. But Satan is very crafty. He doesn't go after somebody who has no value, who doesn't have influence. But the reason why he went after the woman, Eve, is because the woman is in a very unique place, connected to the man, to the children, and to God directly. The woman is in that unique place in a way that even a man isn't. The woman has that unique connection to everyone in that order of God the Father, Christ, the husband, the wife, the children. It's the mom, it's the wife, it's the woman who has that unique connection and that unique influence. And so Satan knew that. And so he went right after the woman and then everything began to collapse. See, the Bible isn't just about what happened, it's about what always happens. And so sisters, you know, I don't address the sisters often directly, but I'm telling you sisters, there is an all out satanic attack on women right now in our culture, all out. And it is not in the way that you might think. It's not like oppressing women, crushing women. That's not it. Men are being crushed in our society right now. But you know what women are experiencing? They're being lied to. You want to be happy? You want influence and power and fulfill all your dreams? Then come out of that God, you know, God's divine order and do your own thing. Right? That's exactly what Satan did. And I want you to hear, you know, the sisters here, but I want you to hear how Jesus feels about women. This is how Jesus feels about women. It's not about just keep your place, woman, right? Stay in your order. It's not about that. But look at how Jesus feels. But you know that story of Mary and Martha? I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached along these lines. I always hear about, like, stress in daily life. Don't be like a Martha. Be like a Mary, right? I, I think that's good, right? You could preach that sermon. But more to the point, I think what Jesus was kind of illustrating there is Martha was doing what? What the culture expected of her, stereotypically, she's in the kitchen, she's preparing the meals. And the men were doing what? Sitting at the rabbi's feet. And Mary broke rank, right? And she was now sitting at Jesus' feet along with all the guys in that room. It wasn't just Mary and Jesus alone. All the men were there and then Mary. And then Martha comes in there and she's basically saying, uh, Jesus, tell Mary to act like the way she should act, right? And get in the kitchen and start preparing the food. Now, I'm not saying women shouldn't do that or women can't do that. Those are all just cultural things, right? But what did Jesus say to Mary or to Martha? Leave Mary alone. She has chosen what is better. So in Jesus' eyes, who cares about all those, those cultural expectations? Okay, women are valued. I want women to learn directly from me at my feet, just like all my male disciples. That's how Jesus saw. And yet, Jesus never broke the divine order. God the Father, Christ, the husband, the wife, the children. Who's trying to break that order? Satan is. Continuously, he's trying to break that order, brothers and sisters. So there is an all-out attack, satanic attack, I believe, on women and men, but especially women in our culture today. And it's coming through the most pagan, occult, demonic thing you can imagine. So this is... I lost track <laughs> of my points here, um, but this is the core beliefs, the core beliefs. And you know what? 
I have at least like 10 more pages of things I want to cover, so we're just going to have to end it there, okay? We'll end it there. We're just going to have to carry it over next week. Okay, I keep extending the, these like sermons, okay? We're going to have to do a part three. It's already almost 1210, so. But brothers and sisters, this is so important. This is so important. Okay, the Bible has told us in advance everything that we need to know because God loves us. So let's come before the Lord right now. Let's bow our heads.